Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. So welcome back, Chris and Gary, and welcome, Dalton. People might not know who you are. You are known best probably for working on the UbiPorts team on Ubuntu Touch. Is it UbiPorts or Ubuntu Touch? I never know these days. Uh, yes, UbiPorts the foundation, Ubuntu Touch the project. How's that going then? Oh, we're doing pretty well. There's a lot of work to be done. We're currently switching from our Ubuntu 16.04 base to Ubuntu 20.04, which if you know anything about Linux, we're uh, about a year too late. But, you know, things happen as they do. Well, look forward to that then. So the question that I've got for you guys today is, as all of the platforms start to offer more choice with things like virtualization, Windows Subsystem for Linux, Proton, cloud desktops, are we heading towards this weird, almost twilight zone where it just does not matter what platform you're actually using. It all just is going to come down to marketing. So say, for example, you're using a Chromebook. Well, you've got Linux applications on there via virtualization. You've got Android apps on there. With a Mac, even with the new M1 Macs, you can virtualize Windows on there if you want. You've got iOS apps. It seems like we've just got to this point where the platform just doesn't matter anymore. Or am I imagining that? I tend to agree mostly with that, I think. I definitely feel like my choice to run desktop Linux as my daily driver is a choice, but I'm lucky enough to have that choice. But one of my good friends has to use Windows for his work. And we were discussing only recently this very thing with WSL2 especially. There's a hell of a lot of stuff that he was missing before that he doesn't feel like he's missing out on, but it's a, a preference thing. So it's not that he can't actually do and achieve things and run certain stacks and software and all sorts of things like that. It's just he prefers the way desktop Linux does it, but he can get to the same result on Windows 10, but he just finds the choices it forces him to take annoying because he uses desktop Linux in his personal life. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree. Say I use a Mac for work and I can probably do most things that I need to do. But for me, I prefer the desktop Linux paradigm. I use desktop Linux outside of work. I think it's just everything feels a little bit easier on desktop Linux. I find myself working around things quite a lot on the Mac day to day. Like things like Docker just don't quite work the same way as they would on desktop Linux. Brew is pretty good, but it's nowhere near as good as most of the package managers on Linux. So although I can get everything I need done on a Mac, it does feel a little bit hacky. I think that in itself is kind of an interesting like history lesson from Linux that for years we've been like, okay, we're just going to get Wine. And when Wine works, we're going to have all the Windows apps, and then we're going to have all the apps in the world. And so we're just going to be able to beat Windows because Linux is better than Windows. No one expected that Microsoft would pull out the Uno reverse card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now we're in this weird like point where we have the apps. Valve's going to make damn sure that we have the games. And now what? It's a level playing field. And is Linux going to hold up? I feel like that's the thing where... People who are like, oh, WSL is bad. They were actually afraid that Linux isn't going to hold up when it's against Linux on Windows. So basically now we're on a level playing field where we have to 
be a better platform. And while marketing is definitely going to count into it a lot for people, I think that being a good technical platform is a good start because if you've ever had anyone, you know, in your family or a friend try to buy a computer, who do they ask? You, the technical person. So I think that a lot of this is really shaken up by the M1 on the Macs because we don't have anything in the non-Mac world that competes with that in terms of performance per watt, mm. in terms of being able to have a fanless battery life where yeah, the whole stack is relatively seamless from top to bottom. Like, you know, we've got in the Linux world things like the Pinebook, but it just pales in comparison to running macOS on an ARM chip where things are just seamless. I mean, there are very few Windows laptops the way you can get 20 hours of battery life and reasonable performance. And the form factor. Yeah, and the form factor and everything else. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see what happens in the PC hardware world to compete with that, because at the moment, we're a long way off, it feels. Yeah, I definitely agree with Gary there. Historically, I've never really had a desire to own a Mac. I have to repair a lot of machines. I've found Macs to be frustrating just from my point of view. That's I quite like watching Lewis Rossman's videos because he makes good points about how difficult it is to repair them, service them. So I just wasn't interested in owning one myself. But now because of this leveling of being able to run things across multiple platforms, my head is really turned. As the price of the M1 Air drops, then I'm much more attracted to it. Like if it drops to about 550, 600 when the M1X or M2s come out, then I would be really tempted to get one, having had quite a few through my hands now, to mostly to set up for people who are migrating from the older Macs, because those become the priorities more for me, especially when there is such a jump in performance and battery life, as Gary said. Like, I would be willing to bridge the issues that I might have with running MacOS as my daily driver to gain those things. Because a lot of stuff that I do on desktop Linux, I could do with the hacks that Gary said, but I would be gaining for that an incredibly powerful SOC and no fan and incredibly long battery life, which is what I want Whatever the OS is, like those are really important tenets for using a computer, especially a portable computer. And I would never, honestly, the people that know me well, last summer, the idea that I'm now sitting here thinking, oh, I might buy a MacBook Air would be literally anathema to people that I'd spoken to before. It just wouldn't have been on the cards at all. You could presumably just virtualize Ubuntu Mate and have it full screen and just forget that you're running macOS. This is it. Like, honestly, I keep seeing the prices drop. I've seen today, like, you have to be a Costco member. So it's a, you know, a thing, but you can pick up an M1F for 600 pounds if you, if, and they are going to keep dropping. And as Gary said, like, they're pulling out empty pockets at the moment, everyone else. And Apple are just taking the ball and running with it and going, right. Okay. Put them in Mac Pros, get an M1X, get an M2 and just racing off ahead. And so, if the golf remains that big and I need a new computer, I'm going to take the one that has like 15 hours of battery life and high performance and deal with the change in the operating system, depending on what happens. So I don't know. I, I, I would hope 
because I still have the same issues with Apple. Like if the SSD fails on any of those M1 MacBooks, you have to replace the board or resolder a NAND chip, which you know very few people are going to do that. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. So I wonder then, if you do just run like Ubuntu Mate in a VM full screen, do you still get the battery life? Do you still get the performance? I would imagine you're not going to get the battery life. Performance-wise, I've not tried it because the only real game in town for virtualizing stuff on the M1 chip at the moment is Parallels. Oh, right. And yeah, I'm not about to go and pay for a Parallels (laughs) license to try it. That's right. I forgot about that. It'd be interesting to see one that does actually come around. Like, is Linux ready for this? So when, you know, Ashi saves us, Sahi, uh, is everything going to work out? Like, are we are we on our game there? Yeah, because that's literally what I was just going to bring up. That's That's on the brow of the hill. I really would love it if they got robust, accelerated GPU support. I'm watching them on Twitter, and it seems like you could run like a Mac Mini as a headless extremely powerful computer for various applications but the actual the macbooks it would be great if they could get accelerated full support for the gpu but i think that's going to be difficult no i think it's going to be incredibly difficult to reverse engineer but once it happens and it's in mainline linux i'll be willing to give it a try is it going to be nouveau level of reverse engineered though i guess even if it is that's probably good enough. It depends, though, because if you use Nuvo and then you start putting some kind of 3D accelerated application, for example, so quite often I repair machines with NVIDIA cards in, and because I can't be bothered messing around with Windows or it's the person's personal account, to do like a hardware rundown before I return it to the client, I'll live boot some kind of Linux, and I'll bring up uh, Inksy or Hardinfo, And I'll do like speaker tests and stuff just really quickly. But if it's got an NVIDIA card, I use uh, Pop! OS now because you just download the slipstreamed NVIDIA drivers ISO and you can boot it and you can get uh, Heaven, you know, the benchmarking tool. And you can sort of stress test the CPU and everything. But before Pop! OS, I would have like a persistent USB of Ubuntu LTS, which I would then install the NVIDIA drivers or you know, reinstall them because sometimes it would be a different generation. And sometimes that would fail and I wouldn't realize. And then I would run the benchmark and be like, oh my God, (laughs) there is such an incredible difference in performance between these two drivers in 3D accelerated heavy graphics. Like there's just no competition. There's such a, a difference. So I think it depends on workload, doesn't it? Like I think you could use Nouveau for 
lots of applications, but when it comes to the crunch, you can absolutely tell the difference. Yeah, I'm probably not doing anything on the M1 Mac where I would truly notice like the performance delta like that. So that's why I bring it up, because someday it won't be the M1 GPU. It'll be an Adreno or a Mali or something where Linux is a little bit more ready to be on it. So like, are we ready to be on an ARM system that can match the kind of thing that the M1 can do? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think it seems like the NVIDIA takeover of ARM might be going away, or at least it's gone quiet. The UK government's strategy seemed to be to try and make it a national security issue, which I, I don't know, like maybe that's going to be effective in the long run, but I think it's not necessarily a wholly accurate version of events. But that's the next big thing, I think, that we're, we're waiting to see happen. And Dalton, I think you'd be able to speak to this more than I can, because I don't know enough, but it seems like the trend would be to go the SOC route like Apple have done. So to have the GPU and like you mentioned with Qualcomm and Mali, a bit more like mobile SOCs, you would have everything wrapped up in an SOC, which surely makes it more difficult to unpick. No, because everyone's been doing that kind of thing for years. I mean, Intel integrating more and more components onto the CPU, it's not really that relevant. The bigger question is going to be, are the ARM PCs open enough for Linux to run on them? Not in the way of like, do we have to reverse engineer the drivers or not? Because we always have to do that anyway. But more in the case of, will it even let this boot? Because that's been an interesting thing with Apple is, at some point during the production of the M1, they had the chance to say, no, this is only ever going to boot iBoot. And that's only ever going to boot into the Darwin kernel for macOS. But they didn't, which is interesting. So the question is going to be like, is Microsoft going to do that when they release, you know, the SQ3 Qualcomm CPU? Or are they going to open things up a little bit so that the actual innovation that Linux needs to run on that hardware happens? So it feels like maybe... Going back to what Joe asked, it feels like to me anyway, that we're at a very open plane at the moment. So at this moment now, and we park the M1 to the side for one minute, we've reached this plateau where I personally could probably get through my day on most of the platforms to a degree without missing out on anything. But I feel like there's another paradigm approaching over the hill driven by how good the M1 was and the fact that it's a shift in architecture that might see that be less the case, actually, depending on what happens with the next level of innovation. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you, I could probably get through anything I needed to do day-to-day on any of the three main platforms. But like you say, it remains to be seen how we keep up with hardware innovation and can we get that kind of macOS on M1 level of performance and stability with Linux on an ARM CPU. Or can we provide whatever just technical people want so that they keep using it and recommending it to their friends? You say three main platforms, but there are four, surely. Because we keep forgetting about Chrome OS in all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's true, though, isn't it? Because I think I can't pull you the, the firm number out, but the latest kind of statistics show it's there's a huge uptake in 
people running Chrome OS as a desktop OS. Google bet on K-12 in the U.S. in like 2012, and it's paying off now as all of those students graduate here in like 2020. They all needed a computer at once for school, and they started picking up Chromebooks. So that bet worked out for them. Yeah, and I do it. Like, my mother's running desktop Linux at the moment because the NAND flash fried on her Chromebook. So you, you, I mean, there is actually a way now, apparently. I was just reading about it today. You can run Chrome OS off a USB. Our friend, Mr. Chromebox has various ways that you can do that. But at the time, I didn't want to bin the machine. So I ran, I've been running desktop Linux off a micro SD card, but that was very much like this might last three months. And it's actually lasted 18 months. But I thought it was about time she got something that was not at risk of failure every minute of the day. So. I've got her another Chromebook because literally it's the best OS for her particular use. And a Chromebook with a half decent uh, CPU and at least four gigs of RAM boots up so quickly, even from cold. It's ready to use. It's incredibly simple. She gets on with everything. If she wanted to, she, as, as Joe said, I think you can get, uh, Crostini, get your, your Linux, uh, applications if you want them, your Android applications. I think the two biggest Achilles heels with that, though, uh, that the Linux stuff just isn't quite there yet in terms of, yeah, I think it's still a pain to get audio out of some of the Linux applications and there's no video acceleration yet, but it's very close. But the other thing is that the impression that I get is that most people going into PC world and buying a Chromebook are just going and buying the cheapest 150, 200 quid Chromebook with the Celeron and two gigs of RAM. And they're never going to, like you said, Chris, it's not powerful enough to do that stuff without chugging along. But then they don't. That's the thing. I mean, even I, you know, I do tech support for loads of clients. Most of them, their use case is the same as a Chromebook. I mean, some of them are teenagers who like gaming, but a hell of a lot of them are just a browser, email, which they do in the browser, and yeah, office and video calling, but that can be done if you make the adjustment. So I think I agree with you on Crostini from what I've heard. For example, like disk IO is really bad. If you plug in like a decent USB drive, the native uh, performance in Chrome OS is so much better than going through into the Linux environment still. They still keep trying to work on that and make that better. But but that didn't stop Microsoft for WSL2 or WSLG. So we really shouldn't let that be the gate here. Yeah, it's true. The thing is as well, for most normal users, most of what they do is in a browser, right? And that's why we were so excited when that started happening. And we were like, oh boy, this is going to level the playing field. Now we're looking back like, oh, maybe we liked our apps. <laughs> <laughs> well, we better wrap it up. Thank you, Dalton, for joining us. Uh, we'll have to see about you maybe joining us again in the future. Ooh. But uh, if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact if you want to send in your hate mail or whatever. And consider supporting us as well uh, on Patreon or PayPal. Uh, thank you everyone who does. latenightlinux.com slash support for details there. $5 or more per month on Patreon gets you an advert-free RSS feed, of course. But until next time then, probably in a couple of weeks, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. <laughs>